Well, good morning. Welcome to Eastlake in part three uh, of a series we're calling Stuff Your Significant Other Needs to Hear. Uh, needs to hear. Uh, in this series, we're focusing on everything you wish your significant other, your kid, your high school kid, your boyfriend, your wife, whatever, would stumble upon themselves, but it never seems to work out that way. Um, it's always just you that read that self-help book, or it's always just you that listened to that podcast, or you that showed up to church that day. Um, so that's a bummer, because uh, you and I, like, we're good. So we don't need that stuff. We don't need this stuff. This is really good stuff, but, like, you're just taking notes and, like, leaving around the house so that maybe he or she will see them and be like, hey, so what's this about? And you're like, you should, seriously, you should come to church. Uh, whatever. Um, it's never us, it's the problem. And uh, the reality, though, obviously, tongue-in-cheek, is that perhaps we can be self-aware enough to know that there's probably some work on our end involved that needs uh, attention in this way. Uh, design, this, uh, design this series to be sort of like a, uh, like a premarital counseling thing. I, I don't do premarital counseling, but like if this is like, would be like the closest thing to it, I, I, would, I would say, I don't do it. You need to go find somebody that knows what they're talking about. But there was a series that we did that I think is really helpful um, because I think anytime you do any sort of long-term relationship, um, anytime that you've got two selves that are trying to attempt to become um, like, like conjoined, they're trying to do life together, they're trying to uh, be more than just friends. If, 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 the, if the timing-wise, if lives are being integrated in this way, there is uh, inevitably friction involved in that because of just personal preferences and just our common humanity in that way. Um, and we know this, we get this, we understand it. So um, stuff that you wish, this is, again, if, 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 if I had a chance to sit down with them, this is what I would want to tell them in terms of tips for getting along or making relationships uh, that you prioritize, uh, something that function decently well. So for the first two weeks, we talked specifically about the power of basically spoken words. Um, we talked about precision in our speech and honesty in our speech. And today, the power of listening well. So we're going to talk about listening for a little bit today. And uh, considering the circumstances, like me up here and like you sitting there listening to me talk, the delicious irony of a pastor telling people they need to be better listeners is not lost on me. I totally understand. You're like, that's kind of ironic. And you'd be like, hey, you, should get, you guys should improve your listening skills, right? The only thing worse is a pastor telling you to be a little bit more financially generous to your church. Because uh, at that point, you'd be like, I can't help but shake the feeling you got something in on this thing. Like, there's some personal benefit that comes with me being a better listener, but also then a better giver as well. The nice thing about doing a talk like this uh, is that it's pretty rare to find people who feel like you're overqualified at this whole listening thing. Like, nobody's sitting there going, I don't really need this. Um, I don't really need to hear what you have to say. I'm already brilliant at listening, which then my response would be, do you hear yourself talking? <laughs> you're not that great at listening if you're talking in that way. And if you've ever been in a relationship longer than a holiday weekend, somebody probably wanted you to be a better listener. Um, they may have said it. They may have not verbalized it in that way, but I, I promise you it's there. And if you don't remember them asking you to be a better listener, it's probably because you weren't listening to them when they asked you to be a better listener. So... That's the problem with listening in this. Now, it's interesting about listening because it's easy to fool people into thinking that you're a good listener. In fact, in my vocation, um, I've gotten really good at it because um, I don't think that I'm a very good listener, but every once in a while I'll have people, specifically one guy recently, go um, at the end of uh, like a 30-minute cup of coffee or whatever, just say something like, man, Brent, you're a good listener. You're like, you keep your trap shut while I'm talking the whole time instead of like having all kinds of opinions. And I said... Doug, it's out of necessity, man. I, I don't have any good advice for you. So that's the problem. Like, I don't even know what I would say. Like, I'm out of, I'm out of good tidbits of wisdom here. Um, your, your problems 
go far beyond my mild, small area of expertise. So uh, that's not out of uh, wisdom, that's out of necessity. It comes as no surprise that those who know us best probably have a better grasp on our true ability to listen. So when I say silent during the listening process with my wife, Kylie, she comes to the opposite conclusion of Doug. What's wrong with you? Are you even listening to me say something? And I'm like, I'm confused because it works with Doug, but it doesn't work with her. Why isn't this working with you? And then her last little thing about it, right? Say something, say something. I thought I was supposed to be listening. Now you're just being a punk. So that's, that's what happens with that. So I'm overqualified or I'm underqualified to be talking about this depending on who you talk to. So take that for what it's worth as we dive into why I think you should be a better listener. Uh, the inspiration for the talk today comes from uh, one of the most controversial books in the New Testament. Uh, the controversy was a while ago, so if you're not familiar with it, that's totally kind of understandable. But a couple of hundred years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, there existed a considerable amount of material regarding Jesus, um, some of his teaching, some of his life, like a bi- biography type thing, um, to the point that the early church felt a responsibility to identify which ones should be considered Holy Scripture and which ones fit the category of kind of extant literature. Basically, um, there was like, eh, the, the Bible didn't come floating down and be like, this is God's word, this is what you should do. Um, there existed a lot of different writings about Jesus, and the early church goes, hey, we kind of have like a little bit of authority on the matter. Let's leverage our authority to be able to say which ones should be treated as Holy Scripture and which ones should be just kind of like books that are kind of out there and informational. And so if you grew up in the Catholic Church, um, your Bible may have looked a little bit different than other people's Bibles. Their ears had like this, this part called the Apocrypha, which is like extra books, like better than normal writings, but like not quite... It's like different levels of Holy Scripture is basically what it lived up to. And so uh, there would be the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of James and, the Go- and all these kind of different things. And you'd be like, I've never heard of this before. Um, I think Brent's making books up at this point. So uh, imagine the selection process. So, so it, like this early church had this opportunity to be like, there's a lot of stuff out there. We want to make sure that the right things are being taught. Um, so they, they began what's called the selection or the canonicity project, basically. What books are going to become the canon of Scripture? The, uh, which ones make the cut? Which ones make the grade? Imagine the selection process like a fantasy football draft, for those of you who are into that sort of thing, just try and help make sense of, I just said canonicity and you got lost for a second. So let me say fantasy football and we're back, all right? <laughs> Um, Romans was drafted in the first round, so uh, Antonio Brown uh, or Peyton, not Peyton Manning, he's gone, I guess, but uh, Russell Wilson, uh, that kind of thing. So, so, uh, so Romans drafted really early. So were the four Gospels. Others, it would take a while to get to. The author of Hebrews makes no attempt to identify themselves, so that kind of feels suspect. Um, and if the metaphor makes sense to you, the book of James is like the kicker that you draft in the 12th round. Like, you have to have it to fill the slot, but you're doing it last. The very last book to be incorporated into the official canon. It wouldn't make the official canon basically until St. Augustine gave his stamp of approval in the 4th century, um, which is very, very late. Concerns abounded with this book. Um, There was unclear authorship. I know it says James, um, but there's questions on who James actually was. It speaks about, a lot of times, justification by works, Um, which is a fancy way of saying uh, you are only as good as that which you do. Um, I don't care necessarily what you believe. Your belief should influence your ability to do. And if you don't do, then maybe you don't believe. And so do, 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 which counteracts basically everything Paul says, which is justification by faith, which is 
um, you are what God says you are. You need to have faith in your identity in Christ. And so it's all internalized. And then James is like, well, you got to do some stuff. So depending on which church you grew up in, that probably resonates one way or the other. If you love Paul, then you probably are not crazy about James, all right? But if you're kind of like an achiever, if you're an Enneagram 3 like me, and everything's like all about like doing stuff, and then I, I want to I be able to step back from projects and be like, I built that, I painted that, I broke that, and then I fixed it, right? Um, and, I, and, and that speaks to my identity, uh, the ability to do something and be like, that, that says something about me, then you, you probably enjoy James, like I enjoy James in that way. Uh, Martin Luther, the famous Reformation theologian, despised James. In fact, in his preface to the New Testament, here's what he has to say about it. In some, the gospel in the first epistle of St. John, St. Paul's epistles, especially those of the Romans, Galatians, and Ephesians at St. Peter's uh, first epistle are the books which show Christ to you. They teach you everything you need to know for salvation. In other words, here's my selection of my top seven. Here's my first two rounds of the fantasy football draft. Um, even if you were to never hear any other book or hear any other teaching, they are the first round draft picks. I added that part. That wasn't in his book. He wouldn't have any idea what fantasy football is. In comparison with these, uh, in comparison with these, the epistle of James is an epistle full of straw because it contains nothing evangelical. In fact, in his version, he would just write it out. He would never preach from it. He never quotes from it other than saying it shouldn't be quoted from. And here's where he's right. In the book of James, there's no mention of the death or resurrection of Christ. In fact, Christ is only mentioned twice. Um, it's, again, a lot of justification by works, as I mentioned before. Um, it felt a lot more like sermons than original doctrinal teachings. Um, and and that's a take that I really like because it makes sense of how it kind of jumps around. It's as if we collected all of the note sheets from the blue bins after service. And we took out all the grocery lists and all the cool drawings that you do and all the hangman games and pieced together a booklet called Stuff Your Significant Other Needs to Hear. And then we published that. Lots of different sermon notes, which is why uh, to open the letter, you've got talks about perseverance through trials and perseverance leads to kind of the shaping of your character and that gives you the patience and the, all the things to be able to get through. And then a few chapters later, you have, it kind of jumps around. Then it jumps to a verse that we'll talk about. And then after that, it goes into the power of the tongue and your tongue has the ability. It's like this untamable beast that can, whose uh, who's, who's words, like a word can spark a, a fire, like a forest fire and something there can be massive damage based on something incredibly small that you say. That's a very preachable thing, all right? In fact, the book of James is very, very preachable. That could be, again, why I like it, right? Because that's the line of work that I'm in, and so it works in that way. So why, then, did it eventually make the cut? If it does not say really anything about the birth or the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, if he's barely mentioned in this, if it feels like sermon notes material, um, and the rest of scripture of what they decided made the cut doesn't really match this. Why did it make the cut? Why in your Bible at home, because I'm assuming you didn't bring it today, does, that's fine, does G, James come right after Hebrews and just before 1 Peter? Even though we're not exactly sure who James was, and even though it feels nothing like Paul, I think the reason that it made it in is because there are some brilliant insights on what it means to be human that the early church did not want to lose to antiquity. They didn't want to let this go. There were some insights about the frailty of human life and how we actually live and operate that was so brilliant. They're like, we know it's not doctrinally all the things that like Paul is gonna talk about, but we have that. What we could use are some really encouraging, insightful ways to do life. So 
I'm going to bring one of those to you today, um, or hopefully attempt to do so. Set right in between comments on perseverance through trials and the untamable power of the human tongue. Here's the gem that we get that we're focusing on for our text this morning. James chapter 1, verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. We know that. We've been angry before, and afterwards we've gone, well, that was dumb. That was a waste of energy. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. From a sermon standpoint, he's basically got a three-point message, which is always real classic and lovable for pastors. The ideal, here's the ideal. His ideal situation, here's what you should do. As a Christian attempting to figure out what it means to follow Christ in the way of love and to wear love in all of the different arenas of your life, James' recommendation here is simple. Number one, be quick to listen. Number two, be slow to speak and slow to become angry. He pieces them all together. He doesn't even waste time in between each one. See, when I talk and I do points, I have to say one, and I got to talk about it for 10 minutes so that you, you get it, you understand it. He's just like, this is so simple. Let me, let me just give you the ideal. You should be quick to listen. You should be slow to speak and slow to become angry. Are there any questions? Let's do communion and go home, right? That's basically Paul, or sorry, James's approach towards this. Unfortunately, he knows that even though this is the ideal, it doesn't really match up to the reality because the reality looks a little bit more like this when it comes to listening and hanging with others. While you're talking, I'm already planning my rebuttal. As soon as you use the word never or always, I jump all over use of hyperbole. When you say, oh, you never do this. Oh, really? Let me just pull out my calendar and show you that I actually did watch the kids for you while you had a girl's night. Oh, how quickly we forget when you use the word never and always, don't we? We are quick to point those things out. All right. And I'm done listening to your version of the story because you're clearly a, and I'll just leave that part blank because I'm not sure where you're at in your relationship. I don't know what kind of language, what kind of parental rating you would use in your dialogue with one another. And there are kids here. So um, the reality does not match up with the, you know, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Even though you can hear what's being said, oftentimes you're not actually listening because we would say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a good listener and somebody next to us would elbow us and be like, you need to really hear this. this is, it's freaking in the title. This is stuff you need to hear um, because you hear me, but you're not actually listening to me. Instead, you use it as fuel to your anger. Now, I wanna make a, a comment real quick um, and uh, identify this because I think there are two, two different kind of uh, things and I wanna make sure of what I'm not saying. So let me address what I'm not saying so then I can address what I am saying. There is a difference between innocent failure to listen and active and intentional failure to listen. There's a difference between innocent, I genuinely, babe, I'm so sorry, I didn't actually, I didn't hear you. Um, I, and, or I heard something, but what you're saying and what I'm hearing are, are, are different things and I should have clarified and I didn't. And I'm not like actively against you. I'm actually for us but it was just an innocent mistake, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, so like be a little bit more focused, like put the phone down, turn off the TV, at least put it on mute, whatever. I, I, there, there's, an, there's a different level of this. We've all genuinely missed something and that can be frustrating, it really can. And it can be because of a phone thing, it can be because I'm, I'm on Facebook too much or I'm on this or whatever. And that's, that, that's frustrating, but it's rarely infuriating, okay? Um, this weekend, a friend of mine, 
did a wedding. In fact, the same friend, if you were here last week, who almost hired the guy. Okay, that, that's the guy. I'll just leave it there. You have to listen to the rest of it. Uh, that same guy did a wedding this last weekend. And the bride of this wedding, um, this big, big production, obviously, like all weddings are, asked her 10-year-old niece to perform a reading during the ceremony. And which is common if you've ever, you know, you want to incorporate some scripture verses, typically like uh, 1 Corinthians 13, some chapter on love. Something about love is basically what you're looking for. If it has the word God and love in it, that's bonus points. So let's go with that. That's what we want. And then um, we can, then we uh, incorporate God into our ceremony. All right. Um, that's a cynical pastor t- coming out. Sorry. <laughs> they, chose, uh, they chose the passage, 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. I have it on the screens for you. So we have have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, bonus points. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, right? Maybe not the verse that you would pick for your ceremony, but like a good verse, great. It has the words God and love in it one more time. So that's, that's really great. Except, and it would have gone great, except what the 10-year-old niece heard and subsequently read was not 1 John 4, 16 through 18, but John 4, verse 16 through 18, which says this, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not even your husband. What you have said is true. Can you imagine? My buddy Jeremiah said, the bride is up there halfway through this going, that's the wrong verse, that's the wrong verse, that's the wrong verse. But what do you do? It's incredibly frustrating if you're the bride. Maybe even infuriating. Maybe we'd get there. But like innocent though, she just heard the wrong thing, right? She wasn't like, I'll teach her, my aunt. It was a genuine, honest mistake. That obviously is uh, not what I'm talking about. Frustrating, sure. Infuriating, maybe. But most late yourself for not double checking with a 10-year-old. That's what you get, right? There's a difference between innocent failure to listen and active and intentional failure to listen. In an active and intentional failure to listen, there is something going on behind the scenes. There is a clear, I hear you, but I'm not listening to you. Uh, And even if it's maybe even operated out of ignorance, um, they they don't even know that they're not listening to you, but it's clear that they've chosen this path, that they've gone down this way. And one person in a relationship begins to say words like, I'm just not being heard. You're not hearing me. Like, we're talking, and, and, and they, you might even, and the other person might even say, we talked about this last night. We were up until X, you know, X time in the morning talking about this. Yes, but you're not hearing what I'm saying. Like, the time in, the, the quantity of time in isn't actually developing into the quality of discussion that we're having because I don't even feel like you're hearing me. I don't feel like I'm being heard. 
And it's far more common than I think we give it credit for because people pay significant sums of money to meet with a therapist because it's guaranteed time in which I can be actively heard. For, for some people, that is the very first time and it's a refreshing experience. You're, you're sitting there and somebody's listening to you and if they're good, they're just letting you kind of continue to talk through your own stuff. It's basically 55 minutes of people talking themselves into and out of all kinds of situations. And if you talk to a therapist, a lot of times they say nothing. And at the end of 55 minutes, somebody goes, that was amazing. Thank you so much. I, they're brilliant insights the entire time. There's, there's money. And they're like, I will listen to you anytime for that amount of money, right? But for the, but, so why do we do this? Why do we crave this? Why do we, why do we say... For those of us who have gone through some sort of grief or gone through some sort of counseling or gone through some sort of formalized counseling sessions, be like, that was perhaps one of the best things I've ever done. Because even for a brief moment, we feel like we're being heard, like our truths are being made known to somebody. And it may not even, I mean, it probably doesn't even involve them. They're a therapist. Like, they're not the one you're married to. They're not the ones you're fighting with. They're not the one you're trying to raise kids with. But somebody's hearing you. And when you haven't been heard for an extended period of time, you will pay good, hard-earned money so that somebody will hear you because I just want to be heard. Freud was the father of psychotherapy. He uh, had a method called free association. And he would lay people on a couch and he would stand behind them so that they couldn't see who, his reactions. He did not want to give them any sort of reactions to their speech. He would, uh, he would tell them, in free association, I want you to say whatever comes to your mind. And, and oftentimes he would not say a word during the entire thing. It would just be them kind of going on for 55 minutes in this way. He wanted to avoid any sort of reactive messages. Whatever they said, it was just them talking things out. Jordan Peterson, a guy who wrote a book called 12 Rules for Life, um, a, a therapist as well, has this to say about good therapy. A good therapist will tell you the truth about what he thinks. That is not the same thing as telling you what he thinks is the truth. Then at least you have the honest opinion of at least one person, and that's not easy to get. That's not nothing. That's key to the psychotherapeutic process. Two people tell each other the truth and both listen. Listen, two people telling each other the truth and both listen, I want that for your relationship. I want that for my relationship. I think your marriage or, or partnership or whatever it is, or boyfriend, girlfriend, status, whatever, whatever that pathway looks like, or even just a strong friendship, I want that for you. Honesty on both sides of the coin and knowing and being refreshed in the reality that I am being heard in this process. Two people telling each other the truth and both listening. Maybe, perhaps, James is on to something all those years ago. That people are open to change if and only if they feel like they're being properly listened to. And yet our relationships oftentimes, again, don't match up to that. I feel like I have my truth and you have your truth and I'm, I fail to listen to yours and you fail to listen to mine and I do it out of spite for you or whatever. So if I could offer, if, if that's the goal, if I could offer one little piece and it's not a lot 
and um, there's probably other books out there that would help and resources, and I'll try and send some of your way. But just a quick thought, if, if what I'm talking about resonates in any way, and if you're sitting there going, I'm evaluating my own personal relationship, could use some work in this area, then can I give you kind of one big thing, one big, why not experiment with this for the next week or two? Why not, when it comes to listening to the other person, try this on for size for a little bit and see what happens? One big thing about active listening. Assume that they have reached careful, thoughtful, genuine conclusions and that they've done the work that justifies these assumptions. It's, it, it feels simple. It doesn't feel like, like you know, again, I, I paid too much to come here today. This is not good. I'm not getting my money's worth. It's free. You can leave whenever you want. But um, this is significant. I believe that you have come to the conclusions of your version of truth over an extended period of time of rationally thinking through some things based on your experience and based on what you've gone through and based on the truths that you see. I, I am gonna assume the best because the reality is we tend to overestimate the work that we put into establishing our beliefs. We know how we got to see our truth. We know how we got to believe the things that we wanna do. And we tend to underestimate the amount of mental effort put forth by others. They jump to conclusions. They took a little shortcuts to get there. They don't get it. They don't understand the whole picture if they would only listen to me. We overestimate how much we have put into something and we underestimate how much they have put into it. And when we carry, and we would never say that, we would never verbalize that, right? That's not stuff that you say because you just get slapped, right? And then you have to sleep on the couch and that's what happens, so don't do that. I'm saying know this going into a relationship because it affects your ability to truly listen to them. If, I'm, if I can go into it going, okay, my tendency, here's what I know about myself, my tendency is gonna to be to underestimate how much Kylie has thought through this. So therefore, I'm listening to her talk, but I'm, again, I'm planning my rebuttal. I'm gonna point out the flaws in the, in, the, uh, in the reasoning process, in the logic process, and I'm gonna try and submit my idea and build my case and cast my evidence to be able to be like, come, see things that a way that I see them. Let's think rationally about this. After all, I've put in more than you have, but I won't say that, but I'm gonna act like it. I would never verbally say that, but boy, have I acted like that because that's what we do. And then we're surprised, we're shocked, we're flabbergasted when our partner goes, I don't feel like you're listening to me. What are you talking about? We've been sitting here for an hour. What do you think I've been doing? And she would say, plotting, planning, strategizing. I'm like this pawn in your game of getting me to do what you want me to do. God, that sounds sick. But yeah, that's exactly what's been happening. Yes, <laughs> if I was to be honest with myself. And you can say, that's not good. I shouldn't do that. That feels very manipulative. But the way to get beyond this, I think, is honestly to come at it with, I know my tendency is going to be this way. So I have to intentionally do something different. I have to go into and understand that we all hold beliefs that shape our behavior. These beliefs have been shaped by our experience and our ability to reason. These things currently make sense to us. This currently makes sense to me. Now, 
I understand what you're gonna say is currently makes sense to you. So there, and, and, and these two things conflict, right? These, these two things both cannot possibly be true um, because like we're dealing with, with stuff that if it's this, then it's not this. And if it's this, then it's not this. So there's some conflict in here. I know I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt that that's the way that things currently make sense to you. And I'm gonna do my best to understand why and to actually begin to listen to this sort of thing and give you the benefit of the doubt that you've thought this through because I know my tendency is gonna be to think I'm more invested in it than she is or than he is. And when you do that, you go down a road of not truly listening. But when you can go into it and say, maybe your experience has been different than mine. Maybe your differing opinions make sense to you. If you're not willing to slow down enough to hear why I believe things are the way that I perceive them to be, then don't be surprised when I fault you for not listening to me. Let me read that again. If you're not willing to slow down enough to hear why I believe things are the way they are, the way that I perceive them to be at least, then don't be surprised when I fault you for not listening to me. Again, the goal, guys, two people telling each other the truth and both listening. I want that for you and your counselor, but like that's functional. That just is, the purpose of that is to get to the spot where you get this daily. You get this with the person that you're attempting to do life with. How do you do this? How do you do this? A brilliant first step shows up 2,000 years ago from a guy named James who's attempting to tell people in a church, he was probably the pastor of the Jerusalem church, suffering through persecution from Romans, uh, from, from the Roman kind of leadership, um, trying to make sense of a new sort of religion in a world that was kind of anti it. There was some growth taking place around the world, but really in Jerusalem, not as much. And his words of advice to his people who are trying on a daily basis to figure out what it means to follow in the teachings and the ways of Jesus and what he meant, said this. Listen, be quick to listen. Let that be your default. I'm quick to listen. Be slow to speak. Not slow speech, by the way, right? That's just annoying and don't do that. I hear what you're saying. <laughs> you're gonna get slapped. That's gonna happen, okay? <laughs> I'm saying I I I wanna make I I wanna make sure that I'm hearing you fully. I don't I'm not waiting until there's a like you have to take a breath so then I jump in, right? I'm slow to speak and I'm slow to become angry. It takes a lot for me to get angry. I'm not saying they won't ever get there. I'm not saying that everything comes out and this is like, oh snap, Monday, you guys are great. We're all fixed up, no problems, never fight again. Nope. But it's gonna take a lot to get me there because I'm so committed to actually listening to what you have to say. It ain't easy, but it is simple. It ain't easy, but it is simple. Now, I wish your significant other was here to hear this, and you do too. And maybe they're here, and you're elbowing them right now, being like, are you awake? Are you seeing this? You need to be hearing this. Because this is a big deal. 
This is a big part of what it means to learn to love one another and to wear love in a committed romantic relationship or otherwise. Guys, this is a really big deal for bosses and employees. This is a good deal for parents and their teenage kids. Your teenage kids, you approach them with all kinds of authority. I, and you say this thing like, I've been there, I've done that. I'm smarter than you, I'm older than you, I've been through life. I know more about life than you, listen to me. And they're like, you don't listen to me. You're 16, what do you know? You don't say that, but you wanna say that. No, you do say that actually. Some of you do say that. <laughs> and you're right, but you know what? They just wanna feel listened to. And when they actually feel listened to, then perhaps they'll actually listen to your truth. And then you'll actually make some progress in that area. Isn't that good? That's freaking good, man. I love this. I know, I know it's not like, okay, we need to be remorseful for who we are and our fallen identity and you know, through Christ, justification through faith. I know we, we've got tons of Paul stuff there, but listen, from, from James, the message that, that jumps out over the years because this is a common humanity problem. This was a problem 2,000 years ago. It's a problem today. No matter what our technolo- technological advances are gonna be, there's still gonna be interpersonal conflict between relationships forever, okay? I'm just... I'm, I'm on board with that. If, that if, if that's not true, whatever. That might, I, 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 but I'm, I'm banking on the fact that it is because I just know that this is our common humanity. This is, what this is, how we, this is the, the rut that we find ourselves in. And God in his grace allows a guy like James to say this and the church says, let's make sure that East Lake Tri-Cities in 2019 hears this message and understands. First step, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Let's pray. Father, Uh, Whatever scenario we find that this fits best in, in terms of kind of where we're at in current season of life, um, maybe it's a work thing, home thing, relationship thing, Um, may we be the type of people who understand that this is a both and, it only works when both people are doing it, but I can't control what they do, I can only control what I do, and so I want to be committed to this, and I want to make sure that I'm I'm doing my part to listen, to to, uh, be open to understanding the perspective of others, to giving them the dignity um, to believe that they have thought through this as much as I have thought through this. Um, So give me the wisdom. Give us all the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard, the courage to act on it. In your name, amen.